1: Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You know, the topic in this segment of the show is not a pleasant one. It's not an easy one to deal with. It's one that, frankly, I think most of us would rather avoid. And yet, it is a normative part of life. And I guess that at the forefront needs to be something we all need to be reminded of, and that is as much as we, we celebrate events in life, weddings, the birth of a new child, we celebrate new beginnings. Um, there's not much celebration, though, that comes to the end of events. We don't celebrate when a marriage ends. We certainly don't have cause to celebrate when a life ends. Although, certainly from a Christian perspective, we understand, you know, as Paul said, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And yet that grieving process is not so much for the loved one who's gone on to their reward. They've run the good race. They've, they've finished the race. They've crossed that finish line. And and now they go on to their reward And that we grieve for ourselves because of the sense of loss that we feel, the presence of that special someone in our life that has suddenly gone from us. Certainly the impressions that they made on us, the influence that they had in our lives, that's something you never lose. And maybe that's another thing that we need to be mindful of as we begin our conversation tonight, that there is much hope to be found, particularly for the Christian, during times of loss and grief. The title, Finding Hope in Times of Grief, uniquely sets to this new book tonight as we talk about this topic of how to go about um, dealing with loss in life and where to turn when a loved one passes. Joining me on the program, uniquely qualified to address this topic, a couple who, um, inside of one week, lost both a father and a son. And Preston and Glenda Parrish, thanks so much for taking time to be with us on the show tonight.
2: Hey, Craig, it's great to be with you tonight.
3: It's good to be with you,
1: Craig. Uh, Preston, let me start with you. Kind of set up, if you would, the scenario for our listeners. Uh, You know, it's never easy to be sure when you lose a loved one, more difficult still when that loved one is a parent. In your case, though, it was sort of a double whammy within one week, wasn't it?
2: Well, it was, and I so appreciated your opening comments. We all do love to celebrate the blessings that come to us in life, the happy occasions, and... Of course, we live in a society that likes to dwell on those things to the exclusive of the other part of reality, namely that we live in a world that's fallen, a world that's out of order, and in fact a world where one out of every one person does die, where difficult events happen, such as we've seen in Japan most recently, and the fact is that we really do have to be prepared to take not just the happy times, but also the difficult times.
0: And to deal with
2: those uh, from the standpoint of a a rock-solid foundation and the importance of doing that was driven home for us five years ago as in the same week as you mentioned my aged and ailing father died but then also just the day after we buried my father our 25 year old son Nathan uh, college graduate uh, an instructor at a science camp there in California Uh, he died in a rock climbing accident and We had been anticipating my father's death. He was approaching 80. He had been in declining health for some time. He did love the Lord. We were very close. At the same time, though, his death was certainly something that I, in particular, uh, grieved. Uh, He would not be here with me in this world anymore, and I would greatly miss him. And in the process of beginning to sort through living beyond his presence, just within 24 hours or so is exactly when the telephone call came from a sheriff's deputy there in California telling us about our son's rock-climbing fall. And at that point, even though we, my wife Linda and I, had been involved in ministry for many years, we had certainly dealt with lots of situations of tragedy in other people's lives and some in our own. At that point, we were plunged into an experience of grief like we had never before known that required us to cling to Christ as never before, and that now as we have walked day by day beyond this experience, Uh, has resulted in us in experiencing God's faithfulness and God's care in ways
0: we had never known before.
1: The the irony, Glenda, I think, behind all of this is, even though we give cognizant um, acknowledgement that death is a part of life, as unpleasant as that may be, as distasteful as that may be, it's something that we all recognize, I you know the the seed falls to the ground and dies. There, there is you know to man appointed once to die and then the judgment. We know that this is part of life, and it's a normative part of life. And yet, in spite of that cognizant reasoning uh, or giving mental assent to that notion, this yet remains a topic that we still struggle with.
3: It really does, and I think that um, before Nathan went to heaven, I. I felt I knew exactly what it was like for somebody that was grieving, but when it actually happened, I realized that I knew nothing, and it is quite a journey. It's very complex, and um, we experienced it just like anybody else would that, went, that goes through it, and it had some very tough days, but at the same time, because we had faith in Jesus Christ, we saw God everywhere, and we, um, he helped us get through it, and we just felt like we needed to write the book to help people that were walking this road know that God sees them, that He knows everything they think about, that He sees every tear they shed, and that He will
2: walk with them.
1: Was there a moment early on in this experience, Preston? And and we should, for the benefit of our listeners, um, let folks know that uh, you're you're not just kind of a casual believer here. Um, you, you've you've walked with Christ for many, many years. <coughs> you've served in key leadership roles with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Um, yourself, Linda, you've been a Bible teacher. You've been a writer of Bible study curriculum. Um, so knowledge of the Scripture, things of this sort, is certainly a topic to which neither of you are strangers. And yet as much as this thing came upon you, uh, losing both your dad and a son inside of one week. Was there that moment of what's going on here? God, why are you allowing this? Lord, where have you gone?
2: Well, the, the why question certainly does come up, but a few days after these events happened so close together, I was indeed pondering them and trying to make some sort of sense out of them. And What dawned on me is that those whose well-being depends on figuring everything out and understanding everything will not be well this side of heaven because right now we do see through a glass darkly. We see as in a mirror dimly. We don't understand a lot of things. But the fact is we don't have to understand everything to be well in Jesus Christ. When we cling to Jesus, we experience that Jesus is enough, In fact, he's more than enough, and he is the only one who's enough. And by clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in faith, in our darkest hours, then even our darkest hours can be occasions when we see God uh, and the light of his love shining through to us faithfully. They can also be occasions when others are helped by how we go through those difficulties in a way that they might not be helped by how we live when the sun is shining and the birds are singing.
1: Um, you have other children?
2: We do. We have an, a daughter uh, who's married and has three children of her own now. We have an older son who is, uh, who's 19 months older than Nathan was. Uh, and then our youngest child is uh, 17 and uh, a junior in high school. So we have four children. And that in itself has been a part of our experience of walking through grief. We have experienced, as many listeners would have, who have had a similar experience that people who haven't had a loved one, especially a child, die, don't quite understand the dynamic. Uh, some people say, well, at least you've got three more. Well, the fact is, uh, three more here with you do not take the place of the one who is now absent from you. Each one is special in their own way. And just as our Lord told about the shepherd who, when he had 100 sheep and 99 were with him, and one was missing, and he went after the one missing when so... No matter how many children we have, we we miss the one who is not with us.
1: And, of course, added then to the complexity of all this is not only dealing with the grief and the why questions, but also helping your children go through the process of losing a sibling.
3: That's very true. And every person grieves differently. People that are grieving right now realize that. But children grieve um, differently when they lose a brother. And we have seen it in three different ways. One child walked through it with us and was very expressive. One has been very quiet about it and is probably still working through it. And then Jessie Ruth was just 12 years old when it happened. And her grief um, in some part came quickly, but the biggest part of it did not come for years down the road. And so all of them did grief differently.
1: Let's pause for a moment when we come back to more of our conversation with Preston and Glenda Parrish. We'll talk about some of the different methodology that goes into this process of grieving. As Glenda points out, we all have different ways of approaching it, and there's, in many cases, not just one right answer. But How do you go about figuring out for yourself what that process is, what it ought to look like? How do you come out on the other side of this loss and grief, um, successfully so? We'll talk more with Preston and Glenda Parrish, a look at Finding Hope in Times of Grief, as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Finding Hope in Times of Grief, that is the title of a new book by my guest tonight, Preston and Glenda Parrish. We're talking about how you go about dealing with the grieving and loss process and what all of that means and, and how to indeed, in the midst of that struggle, in the midst of that sense of, of... of desperation in some cases, uh, that hopelessness to actually find hope, certainly that is the promise that we all have in Christ Jesus. And and yet going through that struggle, that loss, that hope, um, how to come out on the other side, that is key to what we're discussing tonight. Um, oftentimes people get the sense, I think, uh, Preston, and I'm sure both you and Glenda and your family went through this, of just simply being overwhelmed. It's almost as if you were paralyzed by the grief, um, maybe for a short season, uh, distracted by the details that have to be worked through that, that kind of keep your mind and your heart off topic uh, because you've got funeral preparations and things of this sort and of dealing with the opening parts of of an estate plan or, or, or execution of an estate plan, things of this nature. And then at some point, at some point, you have to come full force and deal, full, full, fully frontal rather, in dealing with the loss and the grief. What was it like in, in your case?
2: Well, Craig, you're very perceptive. Uh, Dealing with grief is an ongoing matter that has lots of layers, an ongoing challenge and struggle. In fact, the struggle of one's lifetime, I would say. Grief has about it both that initial shock uh, that comes to you when an event happens, when someone you love dies and is no longer going to be a presence in your life in this world, and we all pretty much understand that and that's why people rally around so quickly with flowers and food and cards and calls and all of those things that happen typically in the initial days and few weeks after someone experiences the loss the death of a loved one but probably the most surprising thing to us was both was that there is also a longer term sort of time release effect to grief where not just for days or weeks, but for months and years, the effects of grief and its impact on your life are something you walk through and live with and learn to wear and have to deal with day in, day out. That was a surprise. And then also surprising to us was the fact that most people really don't understand that. They think after a couple of months, maybe your life is going to be back to normal and you're going to get on with things. Well, the fact is, When you experience the death of someone you love deeply, uh, you will never be back to normal. You will have a new normal. It would be very much like learning to live, perhaps, with an amputation. Uh, Its effects will be with you for the rest of your days. You will go on living, but you will live differently, and you will see things differently. And so for us, we were surprised by the ongoing nature of it. We were also surprised by the lack of understanding of the ongoing nature of it. And a part of writing Finding Hope in Times of Grief, which has been published by Harvest House, uh, has been to help people walking through grief understand they're not alone, understand something of the nature of the challenge, but also to help people who are relating to people in grief, who are trying to support people in grief, to understand at least a little bit more about what's going on. Um, people looking on from the outside at those who are grieving, Lots of times they don't see a very pretty picture. That was certainly the case in our lives. And Glenda and I looked at each other many times along the way following the deaths of my father and our son and said, you know, why would anybody even want to be with us? We're sure not much fun at this time in life. And so it really is quite an ongoing process that there's not a lot of understanding about in some cases. And hopefully through the book, Finding Hope in Times of Grief, uh, we're helping to give some insight to those going through it as well as those living with those going through it.
1: Did you find also perhaps a lot of just plain old-fashioned misconceptions out there about the grieving process. I mean, oftentimes there's that sense of, well, don't worry about it, you'll get over it. I think of, of people that uh, will attend a funeral service and will come, and and of course they mean well, they want to share words of comfort, but instead end up saying something that seems to be, for the moment to the grieving person, so incredibly stupid. And then we ourselves add, I guess, the, the sense of pressure that we're, we're trying to kind of show that stiff upper lip, we want to get back to work, get back to life, get back to the old normal sometimes
3: certainly that is true i remember very clearly about two weeks after uh, nathan's funeral that um i said to a friend on a friday i think by monday we'll be back to our normal schedule and i was so wrong because the grief was just paralyzing and it took um Really, for me, a good three years before I really got back to much of anything normal. And back to another point that you had asked before, I think that's just part of everybody does it differently. And a, a friend, um, some people said some very freeing things. One friend said at one point, "I just said I just cannot stop crying," and she said, "Cry as much as you need to." So there were friends that um, had great compassion, but there. Was a misconception and a misunderstanding on our part about what grief was, but also we were surprised, especially with the Christian community, about a misunderstanding about grief and some of the things that people would say to us.
1: Help me understand more about that because, you know, we sometimes as Christians can can say some cruel things, again, I think largely out of a sense of of ignorance or, um, you know, we're we're wanting to help and just don't realize we're actually doing more harm than good.
3: Well, sometimes it would almost just be boring because I guess one of the most insulting things anybody ever said was said to Preston by someone that had been in ministry as long as we had. uh, And he said to Preston, as soon as I found out, had gone to heaven I began to pray that God would not judge me and take my own son and um, that the theology that you bring to a situation is very important but the person grieving already has a tremendous explosion that has occurred in their life, and they're just trying to pick up the pieces and cling to God the best they can. And then when somebody comes and says something like that, it just adds another big explosion. And people just have no idea how important it really is to just say nothing and be a presence and
1: Does it also run the gambit, too, in the opposite extreme, Uh, Preston? I'm thinking of those that, especially later on in the grieving process, we might be a year later, and and, and maybe you can speak to that, too, in a moment, but this idea that, well, I I don't want to bring back painful memories. I don't bring something up. So, for example, um, the loss of your son, a neighbor who says, well, I know that tomorrow's your son's birthday. They're thinking to themselves, but they don't dare mention it because the impression is that by mentioning something about your son, that's going to bring back some painful thoughts.
2: Well, that's a good point, Craig. People, it's important for people to understand that on the one hand, it's, they shouldn't say cliches and trite phrases without really understanding what they're talking about. But at the same time, it's a tremendous blessing to a person to know that a year or two or three down the road, others are remembering your lost, your absent loved one. And They let you know that they're still thinking of you, that they're still praying for your family, that the individual was important and special to them because of a particular reason. That's a tremendous blessing and encouragement. Part of the challenge of going through grief is you come to think you're alone, you're isolated, you're the only one walking around feeling like you have the perpetual chronic flu in your soul. And when somebody down the road does say to you, you know, I was thinking about your son, I was thinking about your father, I was thinking about your brother or sister just today, and I remembered this, I remembered that, weren't they a blessing? Uh, That's a great encouragement. It lets people, it lets you know that people have not forgotten and that you are not alone, humanly speaking, and of course we are not alone. From the standpoint that God is with us, he sent his son into the world as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and and that is the key to coming out the other side, is, as you raised. It is having that intimate, vital, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and ideally before the storm hits your life. When a storm hits your life, it's a little late. Sometimes to get the foundation in place. But our Lord said, if you hear the word of God and do it, you are like the person who has built his house on a rock. And when the storms do come, not if they come, but when they come, your house will stand. And so the key to getting through it and coming out the other side strong and healthy uh, is indeed having that relationship with Christ, that experience in God's word, that daily, moment by moment practice of prayer. Those things really do make a difference in addition to having the caring interaction with people who, who, who are praying for you and who want to help in any way they can and have some measure of sensitivity.
1: When we come back, a look at taking care of yourself and learning what the process is for you, finding hope in times of grief. Our conversation with Preston and Glenda Parrish continues on this edition of Lifeline.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to the conversation. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House, entitled Finding Hope in Times of Grief, available at Christian bookstores throughout the San Francisco Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. Its authors, Preston and Glenda Parrish, with us today, talking about their experience um, recently of having lost their 25-year-old son and uh, Preston's father all within the same week. One of the issues when we go through an experience like this, um, uh, Preston, uh, there's oftentimes, I think, the sense of pressure, be it real or imagined, to kind of get back to business as usual, get back to normal, and so we rush to go back to work, kind of resume our, our daily routines, and I think in the process... Fail to take the time to really take care of ourselves and, and and fully recognize this is a significant loss. this is a loss of an you know uh, an important person in my life, as you suggested earlier, like having a an appendage that has has been amputated and and to try and ignore it or or pretend as if we're over it and we're back to life again as a sign of strength, which I would imagine in some cases is actually more weakness than anything else
2: well that's right, Craig, and our society does encourage people to try to ignore it, suck it up, and go on. But obviously, we are human beings. God has made us with emotions. We do have feelings, and we must face them and deal with them. And that is a part of what grief involves. Uh, Grief and depression are actually fairly closely related. If you read literature on clinical psychology, uh, persistence of sad or anxious or empty feelings, feelings of hopelessness and pessimism, uh, sense of irritability, restlessness, of being slowed down, fatigue, or loss of energy, uh, feelings of worthlessness or guilt or fear, uh, increase or loss of appetite, difficulty concentrating. You mentioned that earlier, remembering details, uh, making decisions, uh, not sleeping or sleeping too much, uh, loss of interest in activities that used to be pleasure. of a loved one, uh, they are not necessarily clinical depression, they are just grief. And so there's no way that you can be going through those kinds of, of feelings and emotions and experiences and just somehow pretend, oh well, it's all okay. Uh, to do that is like trying to walk with concrete blocks attached to your legs, you're not going to go very far very fast. And so the healthy response is to indeed acknowledge before God and to yourself, and in fact, with everybody around you, I have had this major event happen in my life, and it is having a huge effect on me, and I'm going to be real about it. I'm going to be honest about it, and nicely, but very honestly, this isn't about you. It's about me and about the Lord and about my loved ones who are walking through this with me, and we're going to do what we need to do to handle it and respond to it. This especially comes into play, for example, in facing first occasions. Uh, First birthdays, first Thanksgivings, first Christmases, other such events. Everybody has to do that in the way that works best for them. I don't read in the Bible so-called spiritual ways to handle those kinds of events. And so you really do have to prayerfully seek the best way to do that for yourself, for your family. And sometimes that may not square with other people's expectations or impressions, but you know what? That's okay.
1: And, and do you find, too, that this sense of differences in the way people, as you we know, we're all unique, we have special, unique relationships with Christ, the person who passes away, we all have a different relationship with that individual. And so this process of dealing with the pain, the loss, the grief, finding our way into a place of hope, it's different from every, for everybody, isn't it?
2: Well, it is. Know, Dr. Gary Chapman has written the helpful book on the five love languages. He was very kind to give a word of endorsement for finding hope in times of grief. But just as everybody expresses and receives love differently, uh, I think there is a sense in, in which people express and work through grief differently. For some, uh, they, they withdraw and they think and they write. Others give themselves to intensive physical activity. Some people... Uh, travel. Uh, Some people throw themselves into their work even more. Uh, Some people, you know, have very different responses. And all of that's okay, as long as it's uh, a way by which a person is honestly seeking to draw near to the Lord in their time of need. Now, obviously, you can't use these things as an escape, and certainly not uh, alcohol or drugs or, or or other practices as a way of trying to escape the pain. The pain will not be escaped. It is there. Uh, you can't bury a worm. It always finds its way back to the surface. And so you really do have to face it, but there can be tremendous uh, diversity and variety in the way we face it, uh, as long as we're being honest with ourselves and before the Lord and seeking God's help and healing. And ultimately, it all does come back to the fact that in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the basis for our confidence, for our hope for the future. There's this enormous misconception about hope in our society. It's many times thought of as kind of like somebody's getting ready to kick a field goal, and you close your eyes, and you cross your fingers, and you, you think positive thoughts, and somehow maybe that's going to make the ball go through the uprights. Well, wishful thinking is not hope. Hope is confidence based on the fact that in Jesus Christ, we do have victory over the grave, and that even though right now can be awful in the moment by moment, ultimately God is with us. He will see it through us, see us through it, and uh, for those who trust in him, uh, our destination for eternity is in the very presence of Almighty God, and with those we love who have trusted him, we're looking forward to the day when we see Nathan again.
1: And Glenda, you really have to put your, your trust, don't you, in the Lord in terms of the Lord guiding you showing you through what the process will be for you as you deal with the loss. You address the grief. You move to that side of hope that, as Preston points out, it's different for all of us. No person can say, well, you need to be at this point in your recovery and this kind of progress at this schedule. It really is different for all of us, and only God can really help walk us through that. Am I right?
3: That's exactly right. I think it was about 24 hours after Nathan died. The first, My first was to collapse on my bathroom floor and just cry out to God, Oh, Jesus, help me, my son, my son. And I just resorted to my rocking chair in my bedroom, and I had just screamed out to God, My child, my child. And it was as if God impressed upon my heart, Glenda, he is my child. And I had to quickly um, agree with that. Because Preston and I had turned all of our children back to the Lord once they were born. And I, had, my job as his parent was over. And I just had to come to terms with the fact that he was now with his perfect heavenly father. And that brought me hope. And we, I would see God that way in the most difficult moments. And um, so that—that that is the hope that we saw. And that's the hope that we know. And that's the hope that he will give to anybody that's walking the road of grief.
1: Let me me ask you to stay with us for a moment. I want to pause on this point. When we come back, talk about the challenge of finding strength in this process as you want that moment to break down and cry. You just want to go and have yourself, you know, a nice, good, solid cry. And yet you have to be strong for others because you have a husband, a wife, a wife, You have children that are relying upon you. How do you get through that? Find time for yourself, allow yourself to grieve, and yet deal with the stuff that has to be dealt with no matter what. A look at finding hope in times of grief. Preston and Glenda Parrish with me tonight. We'll be back with more and some closing thoughts as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: With Preston and Glenda Parrish, a look at finding hope in times of grief. As we mentioned at the onset, loss of loved ones is something that's a natural part of life, and yet we feel as if our very insides have been ripped out. And then there's that process of how do we deal with this? How do we memorialize the loved one? How do we move on? And yet in the process of moving on, always keep part of them with us. Many of those insights detailed inside this book. And I guess the the one thing that we need to be mindful of in this, um, uh, Preston, and that is that no individual can really tell us how to grieve or what the process ought to be like, because that is unique for every one of us, is it not?
2: I think that's correct. Grief is not some paint-by-the-numbers exercise. It's different for each person going through it, but what's important is that each person get to the place where in their grief, in their valley, they experience the one who walks through the valley with us, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really is possible for people listening right now going through grief. It may have been all they could do today to get up out of bed without throwing up, or maybe they threw up anyway. And they wonder, Am I ever going to feel better? Is life ever going to be different again? Is it ever going to be
1: not reigning
2: in my world? Well, the answer is that God is with you. He will not forsake you. He will walk with you through your unique personal circumstances. He understands every fear, every tear that you have. He understands every factor in your situation that nobody else knows, and he walks through grief with us individually and will usher us into the confidence, the hope of Christ, if we will just cling to him.
1: Tell me a bit about the process of remaining strong. You both had to deal with this as you've lost a son, Preston. You've lost a father, and yet you've got kids now that are still relying upon you. Um, you're dealing with the grief, the loss, the pain, and yet this aspect that that you've got to be strong for the kids and life goes on. How do you go about managing all of that?
2: Well, in a word, prayer. Uh, within minutes after receiving the call about Nathan's death, the day after we buried Daddy, my personal prayer was quite literally and out loud, Lord, you know I'm hurting. You know what I need, but for now, I'm just going to leave that with you. Uh, My family needs me right now, and in your time, in your way, I trust you to minister to me in all the ways that I need it. But for now, for this moment, in this phone call that needs to be made, in this person that needs to be told, in this decision or matter that needs to be dealt with, Please give me the strength, give me the wisdom, give me the perspective to keep putting one foot in front of the other and to do this well for your glory and for my family. And thank God, he's so faithful. Uh, he really is with us. He really does carry us as a shepherd carries a sheep on its shoulders. He carries us. And he really is meat for the moment. He's enough for whatever moments we face. And he will help us face those, those hard moments even when we just do not have it in us, as I did not. And then in time, uh, he, in his faithfulness and love and mercy and understanding, does indeed come to us as well uh, in our own needs and our own personalities and minister his comfort and peace and healing to us as well. Uh, For me, it really happened weeks and months down the road. Uh, Months later, I remember I was sitting on an airplane traveling in conjunction with our ministry, and just out of nowhere, for no explainable reason, tears just began streaming down my face, and images of Nathan, our son, began flooding my mind. And uh, it was a little embarrassing sitting there on an airplane, just uh, weeping. I uh, didn't want to make the passengers around me uncomfortable, but at the same time, it was absolutely part of God's healing and therapy for me. I wouldn't have chosen for it to happen in C3C, but that apparently was the right time in God's sight. And I think there was something healing and therapeutic about that moment, as well as many others we've been through. So God does meet our needs, but, you know, a part of maturity is getting beyond, what about me, what about me, to to being able to trust the Lord with our needs and say, okay, but Lord, how do you want me to use me with the others in my life, and how do you want to use me for your glory? And he really will help us to do
0: that if we'll trust
1: him. Absolutely. And I think then, too, the notion that sometimes, like the event that you talked about, is going to happen And that's okay. I remember one time for me when I had lost my grandmother who practically raised me after my folks were divorced, um, we would oftentimes, if we saw TV programs that we thought the other would enjoy, would pick up the phone and call uh, and say, hey, there's a great show on XYZ channel. Tune in and watch it. And I remember one Saturday evening, this is probably easily four to six months after she passed away. Uh, a show came on TV that I thought she would like, and absentmindedly, I walked to the telephone, dialed the number, and sat there listening to the phone ringing. And after seven or eight rings, I remember looking up at the clock on the kitchen wall and thinking, well, where should could, could she be at this time of night on a Saturday evening? Yeah. And it dawned on me. And, of course, I, I, I began to cry. I sat the phone down. For a moment, I felt so terribly foolish that it's almost as if the, the whole events of what had transpired with her hospitalization and her death had just slipped out of my mind for a moment, and I was suddenly back to our old routines again.
2: But, Craig, that, that was a beautiful moment. And, and in the book, we talk about uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, the well-known story of his marriage to his wife, Joy Gresham, and she died of cancer just a few years after they married. But they talked about this pain that we experience when someone we love dies. And and then, of course, the question naturally comes on the heels of it. Well, why love if it's going to hurt so badly when someone is taken from us? And Lewis and and Gresham had this wonderful response between them. The pain now, the pain then is part of the pleasure now. The, the pleasure now is part of the pain then. That's the deal. We live in a world right now where those two things are inseparably intertwined. One day God will wipe away every tear, but a moment like you had there in in your experience after your grandmother's death is a beautiful testimony to, to the reality of the love you had with each other, and then absolutely with that, the pain of not having that one with us anymore. And
1: I think too, uh, Glenda, that sense of always having them with you to one degree or another. Um, you know, I, I look at things today now, uh, and I see so much of the influence of her on my life uh, I mean I, I, I even if it comes to getting behind the stove and cooking an Italian meal I you know I do certain things now because I know that's the way she did them and it becomes a part of you it becomes a part of of your day-to-day life and and those things bring back as as Preston suggests those wonderful fond memories that keeps a part of them I think in a sense alive at least in your heart that is really the
3: truth I said to Preston in the first few weeks was is so hard to believe how intertwined one person can become in every facet of your life, and you don't even realize it until they're gone. And Nathan was 25, so he had not lived at home for quite some time, but I still, after he died, would open drawers and see something he had written or something that he had made And it would just take me back, just like when you called your grandmother. But one of the things I missed the most about him was his voice. And I didn't cancel his cell phone um, really for a year and a half. And sometimes I would just call it to be able to listen to his voice. And so those things are very difficult, but those are the kinds of things and the places that God will meet you if you ask him.
1: Amen. And and, and meet you, I might add, in a very significant way. The book again called Finding Hope in Times of Grief, newly published by Harvest House and available again at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through amazon.com. And our thanks again to Preston and Glenda Parrish for being with us tonight.